Welcome to North Star Big Book. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. My sobriety date is January 27th, 1999, and I created this podcast simply to share the message of the big book. It completely changed my life. It always changes my life, and I hope it can help change yours. Carly Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome to North Star Big Book. I am very excited today to have an old friend who I will introduce in a minute. We are doing a new series where I get to have people from all over the world talk about the big book and pages that they love and why they love them. And we're going to go back and forth and share. Will you introduce yourself, old friend? Yes, I will. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Laura. What's your sobriety date? It's July 1st, 1988. Holy moly. So give us some math. How many years sober you were this summer? 32 years this July 1st. So 32 years and two months. See, I love having women on here who have long-term sobriety. Laura um, was one of those women that I looked up to when I started coming around the rooms of AA. And I was crazy, um, as she can attest. And one of the things that I... I always think of when I see you, Laura, is what you were for me when I needed you so badly when we found out that Desi has some scary medical stuff. And what I know for a fact is a couple of things. When we're going through something really hard sober, the only people you want to talk to is someone else who's gone through something similar because nothing else, right? Nothing else that someone can say to me that doesn't have an idea of what I'm going through matters. Like, right. Yeah. Totally. I remember calling you. I remember being like, I need you to walk me through this. Do you remember yeah. that? I do. Yeah. And I'm I sure remember, that- I, shared, Go I ahead. remember, sorry. I remember I shared with you how difficult it was for me to have the same conception of my higher power. Once I found out my daughter was essentially terminally ill. And I mean, she is, uh, even though she's doing great today, right? But it was like, how could God do this to my daughter? Like, well, it just changed. First of all, everything. this podcast is explicit. So tell us the first word you said when they told us what she had. I said, what the fuck are you talking about? Yes. No, I, I didn't say that. what the fuck. You I said, said are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, like I remember that. you telling me that. And I was like, I love how real and honest you are. And I don't remember you saying what you just shared, that your concept changed. But I'm so glad you said that. Because I was 11 years sober when Desi, when we found out about his potentially fatal medical conditions. And what I know is that I went through about a year and a half of a really dark time between me and my higher power where I had to find a new way to connect because there's things that are said in meetings that are well-meaning. That yeah, are like actually, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. 449 are like, now 417, which I give them two barrels up, right? right? So, and just to let you know where I got to with that is a couple of things. The woman who wrote for, the, no, the guy who wrote 449, okay, was sitting yeah. next to, I don't know if you know this story, was sitting next to a woman speaker whose teenage daughter was in, have you heard this story? No. Her teenage daughter was in AA. She was a mess. She was sober a couple of years. Left an AA meeting and was raped in the parking lot and almost killed by another guy in AA. 
Her and oh another God. woman escaped the car. And after that, she couldn't stay sober for a really long time. And she wanted to punch everyone in the face that would say things like 449 acceptance. Nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And right. she almost couldn't stay sober because when she believed, which is what happened to me, that this is AA. And if this is what AA believes, I'm not believing what AA believes. So I don't belong here anymore. Right. Sat next to the guy at a conference mm -hmm. and he said, People take that out of context. That's not what yes, I meant. Of course they do. Right? Yeah. That's not what I meant right. at all. He knew her story. He said that nothing happens in God's world by mistake and that the rape was not God's world. The cancer is not God's world. The sick, none of these things are what God wants. God is like what Roe Eugene said, crying along with us as we're in right. pain and watching it. And I get right. chills thinking about it. And she, she was able to walk into a new place. And he said, really importantly, that is not our program, what you read on 449 or 417. That is right. my story. story. Right. Right. It's, it's a concept, His concept, which was no longer even his concept anymore, because it was his concept at the time he wrote it. And he, and he said to her, like, you don't need to feel separate from AA anymore. AA is up to 164. And everything after exactly. that, not our program. Yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing is, and I also went through definitely one one to two years of feeling very isolated because I didn't I didn't connect in the same way with what people were saying because my life had changed and I had to move into a new place with my higher power that I could live with. Like I couldn't think I didn't think God did this to my daughter. I just thought, how am I supposed to, to live with this? More yeah. importantly, this is not happening to me. It's happening to her. That's so but important as, that you're saying that. Yeah, I mean, it's for real. I mean, this was not about me, but but I knew that any grace that I had up until that point, which had carried me a long way, I had to reinvent that wheel or I was not going to stay because I was so angry and so full of fear. And what I, whatever, where I, the point I got to was that I see God as the soothing balm, you know, yeah. that we can all um, get our relief from, you know, no matter what happens. So I do believe that you just stay sober no matter what. I've always yeah. believed that. Or I should say I've come to believe that and I've re-experienced that and I've seen other people use that kind of grasp to that very same bottom line. But um, I mean, when something tragic like that happens, it redefines everything. How can it not? Right. I How mean, I'd be sleepwalking if I would say, oh, yeah, I just. Really oh, yeah, we're good. That. You know yeah, what, I, what I realized? I was not good. <laughs> See, my problem was I knew that whatever I was facing, what, whatever way it went and still goes for us, like you, right. I right. needed a different relationship with God because if it doesn't go the way I'd like it to go, I, I still need, have to stay sober. Right. I need to be able to go to right. that God and say, I need you to hold me and walk me through this and hold my hand. And the right. God that I used to believe in where everything happened by God's plan no longer was acceptable for me to go to with that pain. Right. Yeah. And you know my what I found father, out in our book? What's up? Our book, I actually, this is what I did because I'm crazy. I went through the book literally word by word to make sure I could belong here again. And on page 93, from the beginning to 93, it took me until I got to 93. I just want to go there for real quick. Mm -hmm. And it said, halfway down the first not real paragraph, 
He right? can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes right? sense to him. It makes sense to him. The main thing yep. is that he'd be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived. And I was willing to do those two things. And what right. now made sense to me no longer did before. And I didn't have to believe what my mom believed about God or what A believed about God. I only had to believe what was going to work for me. And I'm sure this happened to you. It gave me such a sensitivity chip and empathy chip for people that are going through hard things that oh, I would be sure. the person that like would hold someone back from saying something stupid and be like, don't say that to them. Right. That's well, not, we always, you know, <laughs> I mean, think about it. Everybody goes to a funeral or, or a sick right. friend and, and you're always like saying the stupidest shit. Yeah. But you think because you haven't walked in those shoes, you yeah. think, well, this is kind and this makes sense. And oftentimes they're the most insensitive because you haven't walked in those shoes. So yes. go back to that. And this ties in perfectly to why our program works yes. because we have walked in these shoes. So yes. why we all have the, you know, an individual fingerprint that is completely unique. The, the set of circumstances that we all share are that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable and that we have to find a power that we can live with, that we pull ourselves out of this muck with. And we do, you know, we use that grace of God, but I mean, we still have to physically do the work, you know? And if you didn't, I'm telling you this right now, Laura, specifically you, if mm -hmm. you didn't stay here after you got that horrible news and do the work, I wouldn't have yeah. known where to go. And yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do my work because I would have been like, oh, I guess you don't stay here when that kind of thing happens. Right. I mean, I've seen people who have, you know, lost Left. children. Yeah. Right. Yep. We both have. I mean, tragic. Yep. Tragic accidents. And they, I mean, know, I like, sat with Kevin Mooney and did his 11th step the morning he left the morgue. I mean, we, you know, this, and now I say to my girls, I'm so sorry you have no excuse for not doing your 11th step. Like, so sorry. Right. You know, right. Um, so let's get into the work. I literally yes. could do forever. So we're doing the doctor's opinion. Why do you choose the doctor's opinion? Okay. So <clears throat> when I went to treatment, which was December 14th of 1987. And of course, I certainly did not identify as an alcoholic. And, but I was, you know, in treatment and they gave me a 24 hour day book and the big book. And like any good student would, <laughs> as rattled as I was, I started to read the book from the beginning, um, you know, instead of backwards, forwards. Um, and so I read the forwards and then I got to the doctor's opinion, which is our first chapter. And a couple of things stuck with me that even though I did not stay sober right out of treatment, and I did not, uh, that were mind blowing to me in that even in the midst of all my calamity and insanity and denial and rationalization, I could not unread these words. You right? couldn't not know once you knew it. Once yeah. you saw that truth, because I believe yeah. in AA alcoholics we're, we know the truth we don't like to hear it but oh, once yeah. we I mean, know I, it I was, ooh, yeah. I was but I, I kept hoping that that first of all like I said I certainly was not an alcoholic I had a problem with a specific substance more than anything else that made me go absolutely insane but I drank the whole time yeah. and when they told me you know you can't drink anymore I was like what <laughs> of course yeah, I'm that's, gonna drink what do you mean I'm not gonna, gonna drink yeah, of course I'm going to smoke pot. I mean, that's, I've been doing that since I was, you know, 11 right, years old. Right, that's natural. Right. 
So yeah, while I want to give up this thing, which is clearly, okay, I'll admit, clearly ruining my life, I, I don't want to give up these things. What, what are you talking about? And really, that was the, the hardest part for me and why I didn't stay sober right out of treatment. Even though in treatment, I, I recognized, oh, I belong here. But this is so key to me. Like the first step, I just could only, I could really only identify with that unmanageability and the powerlessness part took about two years to really get. Um, so first of all, I just, I, I love how he introduces himself and, you know, he's basically writing a foreword, if you will, for this book uh, by his first letter. And he talks about Bill Wilson. Obviously, who's he? The- for the people who are listening who don't know, who's he? Oh, sorry. Dr. William Silkworth. Yeah. So Dr. Silkworth. William Duncan. Yes. William Duncan. I didn't know Duncan. So he yeah. gave us step one. So step one he, came he from Dr. Bill, Silkworth. He gave Bill the problem. Yes. Yep. Because and he, we didn't know how to was, explain it. Right. And he was convinced because he treated like they say in his lifetime, he treated over 40,000 alcoholics. But what I just found out, because I did a little Google research, is that Towns Hospital, I always thought it was just a regular hospital. It was not. It was a treatment center, if you will. For alcohol and drug hospital. rehabilitation. Yes. And they put people through the puke and purge method. I mean, we're talking dark ages here. You know, giving them the Belladonna treatment, yes. which was night, nightshade. And strychnine. And I mean, it was, it's horrible if you read. Well, you, alcoholics were locked up for alcoholic insanity. We would have been locked up and then they would have just medicated us to keep us. And that's why when Bill came back and said, I found a solution, Dr. Silkworth literally went through the hospital. It gives me chills through between the insane people and us and pulled each one out and said, you come with me, you come with me, you come with me and then tried it with them. And they walked yeah. free. Yeah. It's I crazy. did not know that, by the way. Yeah. I just knew that Bill, that he let Bill go talk to patients. Yes. Um, and I love that, you know, he writes that he really didn't recognize him, you know, and he treated him three times. Like, yes. that seems hard to believe. But um, so I could read some of that, but I'm going to go to the very first thing that stuck with me. Awesome. And I, why I always read it when I speak at any meeting. Um, and it's on page 26. Okay. X, X, V1, 26, right? Awesome. Go for it. Okay. And so, of course, this is just in the middle of this chapter. So there's, there's a lot before and after, but this is what stuck with me. It says, we believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving, which is explained obviously further in the book, but I, I, I stuck with that because I would call what I had a craving that never stopped. Yeah. Right. We now know it's a mental obsession, right? right? But the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never, never, never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Any form, also, which means any form. And any, I also use that for me that it was beyond alcohol. Right. Because that means you can't have so 
I work in a pharmacy and alcohol has a national drug code, an NDC number. So we're talking about a drug. Alcohol is a drug. Both yeah. of our co-founders did drugs in their story. Yeah, and this oh, is yes. when I stop right here and tell the woman I'm working with, that means you can't take cough medicine that makes you go night-night when you're having a hard time. If you're on <laughs> antidepressants, you can't take two or three if you're having a hard day. You can't right. take anything that you know you should not take because right. it tells us we're allergic in any right. form. In any form. Yep. So then this is the set. This is the part of the sentence that really got me. So, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit, okay, and found they cannot break it, hello, <laughs> their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So to me, that was explaining unmanageability. And that Completely. feeling in your everything chest. powerlessness too, by the way. But. Right. Where like everything feels so overwhelming. Like the voicemails yeah. and the mail and this person asking about it where life yeah. became too much. Yeah. And I love their reliance upon things human. To me, that meant, you know, my friend can't help me. Right. My boss. No can't guy. Help me. My parents can't help me. My boyfriend can't help me. Nobody. Nobody can help me. Um, but we know that's not entirely true, but I get at what the crux of what he is stating here. So the problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve was where I was sitting in the hospital. I and had you problems. could relate to that. Yeah, I had problems out the wazoo and I had no way to solve it. And them. what they're talking about right here is the physical aspect of the disease that when yeah. you put the allergic type that they're talking about is an allergy right. just means to have an abnormal reaction to something yeah. that regular people have. So I'm allergic to dairy. Right. Are you able to drink dairy? Yes. Okay. When I drink dairy, I want to die and I'm in the bathroom for like three days. Right. No. When you drink dairy, no issue, right? So yeah, no. when my sponsor eats a mango she goes into an anaphylactic shock and if she doesn't get an epipen she dies when i eat a mango yeah. i just enjoy it so when yeah. <laughs> when, they, when they're telling us when we put alcohol in our body regardless of the form that we our bodies behave in an abnormal way that requires yeah. us to have another drink yes and sets up this phenomenon of craving. i didn't know that i thought that everybody partied like i did because i only hung out with people that partied like i did right and you know, you get so, I, I mean, I was so isolated at the end because I knew what I was doing, the quantity that 24 hours a day was not normal. I mean, right. even the biggest partiers I was with, when I'm calling yeah. at five in the morning for something. Yeah. And in the and meantime, like, I normally crazy. sleep till four. Yeah, yeah. I'm crazy. And I mean, every scenario that I can come up in my brain for obtaining more of what I need becomes totally normal and relevant. And it's totally insane. And then that's where I was at. That's the um, bottom of the page. Will you read that part where it says men and women? Yeah. But let me go. Let me do the next oh, paragraph. Cool. Really quick. Perfect. Go. I so love that, that one. It's, the, it's these two paragraphs that I'll No, go for it. Um, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. I think that's the greatest sentence I've ever read. So <laughs> what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? So to me, frothy meaning, you know, bubbly or of no, of no substance, basically. Right. Emotional appeal seldom suffices. To me, that meant all the people that had tried to help me who seemed very uh, emotionally um, invested, mm -hmm. I guess, the right way, 
all the people that are like, dude, you don't have to do this. You know, can't you just stop? Like that was part of it. You see what you're doing. Yeah. 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 Why, why can't you, you know, all the words in the world weren't going to change me. And then because, the other yeah, part, because we can't, the other part can't was, the other, was the crap I told them. Mm. All the lies that I would use for rationalization and, you know, denial. So yeah. to me, there it's kind of twofold. I don't know that he meant it that way, but that's how I could identify. And then it says, I, I love that though, the, about, about appeal. It's because someone's begging us. So they're saying, yeah. don't you see what you're doing? Do you yeah, see you're what yourself. this is? Right. Do you see what this yeah, is doing? And we're like, no, I'll just carry on. Thank you very much. But the much problem is we're so blacked off yeah. and we're so dark and broken that we can't hear it. We don't feel anything. Right. Right. That's why they say, you, you know, from the God to the gutter or gutter to God, I'm not sure. Um, it's like, you really do have to be in the most bottomless pit of despair. Right. I did. To I did finally too. get to finally let the light just light, like let it in just a little to bit. To finally go, I'll do whatever I have to do. Yeah. To really find that powerlessness. So then it says the message, the message, which can interest and hold these alcoholic people uh, must have depth and weight. That's, that's an interesting phrase. Because um, we tell them the truth. So that's, even, yeah. right, right. In the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it takes courage to say to someone who's new, I've yeah. been at where it's a new, a new person. They introduce themselves. 90% of the people in the room go around and say, welcome. We love you. You're the most important person in the room. Keep coming back. 90 minutes, 90 days. Don't drink, go to meetings. And I'm sitting there and I'm tapping my feet. Cause I feel that truth bubbling with inside of me, knowing it's now my responsibility since no one else is doing it to give them a message of depth and weight. And when I do that, I have to say, welcome. I have some bad news for you. And in my experience, right, in my experience, when I was where you are sitting, that all those nice things that were well-meaning that everyone just said almost killed me. And yeah. that the only thing that was enough for me was to do this work that's super unpleasant because right. if I didn't, I, I tried killing myself sober. And right. I think we want a soft pedal, you know, yeah. to, to people because we just desperately want them to keep coming back. Right. So but I got to tell you that message almost killed me. Yeah. Oh, but you're going to be okay. That, yeah. I will say, I don't think that's the same for everybody. It's not. I mean, I, I do think for sure there are people that really glom onto that and that helps them. And then they, they get eventually to a place where they are in pain again so much uh, that they have to do the work. Right. right. But everybody finds it. I, I believe this. Everybody, I believe when the student's ready, the teacher. A hundred percent. But our yeah. responsibility as members of Alcoholics Anonymous is to only offer the solution that's in the book. And the book yeah. never says one time, and I've read it a couple of times, it never says, you just keep coming back and it'll get better. It actually yeah. it just says, action, no, action, you're action. absolutely right. It's you're right. I mean, it takes you through your steps immediately. Right. I mean, it's uncomfortable. Right. The reality is I didn't want to do this work. If you give me a choice between cute guys with tattoos and smoking and going to meetings and eating cookies and work, I'm going to choose the first choice every time. Yeah. That's right? That's true because we are creatures of... But here's the thing, um, Laura. That's the frothy emotional appeal. Yeah. Even what we say in meetings, well-meaning, loving people who are not trying to harm anyone are saying yeah. something that's never going to work if you're really at the place 
of that alcohol is despair where nothing works. Yeah. You know, I mean, I yeah. know for me, you have children and I have children. And I know that if you gave me the choice, because since we were talking about this before that we started and I have an AA member in front of them, because we're not going to get involved in their stuff. And my son is about to die of alcoholism. I beg that he will say to them, you have to do the work or you're going to die. Yeah. I don't want them to say to my son, just keep coming back and it'll get better because it, right. what if it doesn't? Well, that's true. That is that's true. Scary. It's scary, right? Yeah. But you know, I, I see things like a little differently. I really It's okay, do. which is why I had you on here. I love different. Yeah. Because for many people that, that method works out of the gate. Yeah, it works. And for many people, the method out the gate and you better do this work immediately or you're going to die is like, whoa. Right. You know, so it's almost like they got to step in and get their feet wet a little bit at a time till the water, you know, yeah. is a little nicer. And they kind of weighed themselves in. I mean, that's what I did for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I certainly I, I almost died though in AA. I like, I tried yeah. to put myself sober. Yeah. That but I've I, never done. I agree with you that everyone needs a specific approach. And mm -hmm. that's why I don't believe that the big book is a weapon. I believe it's a tool and that right. I don't believe that it's my responsibility to just hammer it over anyone's head, but I do right. believe but it's my responsibility. There is no yeah. other, there's right. no, you know, I always say when they say, you know, well, we don't know we we don't have the answer for everything you know somewhere in the book where it says it i'm paraphrasing yeah we know only a little right right but i'm like yeah but this is all we do know <laughs> it is right it is but it's not the know. only way to get sober it's not the only way to get sober it's you know we don't have a monopoly on sobriety but i do need to place what was given to me and i was given both of those options by people in aa right. i had a first step first year sponsor and right. because of where i was in my alcoholism I almost ended up killing myself and yeah. it's a good reminder to me to hear you saying that some people don't, that message doesn't work for them, which is why I always say to them, like, look, this is not a requirement. Like you don't right. have to do this. This right. is not something you have to do. But there you are know? no other steps given to us. Right. But I only know what there's, no, there's no other method that's given to us. That's what I mean by that. Right. Exactly. So at the end of the day, yeah. yeah. I also don't want someone to feel like they can't come back to me. If I was like, I said, this is the only way I say to them, like, look, I'm here. No judgment. Like I didn't want to do this work when I got here, you know, try, try doing no work and maybe you'll be okay. Like <laughs> I know no. they're not going to be okay, but I can't <laughs> tell them that. Right. Right. What's next? Um, okay. So then it just says, um, in nearly all cases. So he does leave a little caveat there in nearly in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. Mm. I just love that sentence. I mean, I love these two paragraphs, but, and then it goes right into, you know, if any feel that as psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental, let them stand with us a while on the firing line, see the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children, let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more 
to the rehabilitation of these men, I want to say, and women, right. than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. I love that. Yeah, um, and I love that he said, like, And then look, if we skip to the next... Yeah, but I wanted to say one thing about what you just read. I love that Dr. Silkworth is saying, like, look, if you're judging us about what we're saying, why don't you spend a night in this ward with me? And I would like you to take yeah. the call from the crying wife and the sad mother, or right? Because right. when you experience, like you know, like we just talked about in the beginning, once you've experienced something, you can't say to that person, no, that's not real, because they've he's right. actually experienced it. Right. And sadly, you know, alcoholics and, and addicts, I mean, flat out addicts, there were people addicted to opioids and cocaine long before Alcoholics Anonymous came along. Right, of course. So, right. Um, as a matter of fact, Towns Hospital was treating them like yes. alongside just straight up, you know, drinking alcoholics. But, um, you know, everybody thought this was a moral issue. Mm -hmm. We were morally soft. Yes. <laughs> uh, that it was a willpower issue. Yes. I mean, people told me that. They told you know, my, the boyfriend that I was in an open relationship with that pulled me off of the bathroom floor. Just why I know you just stop at a certain point. Well, what, what he willpower. said to me was he thought because he pulled me off of the bathroom floor when I OD'd and I came back and I got sober. He thought the reason why I was able to stay sober, even after watching all of it, was because I had willpower. And right. I was like, willpower. no. And I love the phrase in AA that somebody came up with as sickening as it sounds sometimes to recant to people. Next time you have a case of diarrhea, try willpower. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Good luck. You know, Good luck with Good that. Luck. You know, oh, it's, yeah, it's gross, but it's true. I love um, you. Where are we going to next? Okay, so then when he, he, you know, so he is now setting the stage, I think, again, for the next five chapters, um, where he's saying, he, he's breaking down, why do people drink? Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive. I love that. Because think about the first great buzz when it yes. finally magic settled in. And I always say, I chased that golden yep. glow until I got here. Yeah. Because it was never exactly the same. It was never so perfect. Never. But I surely, I surely tried. Um, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. Which is what you so were just saying. You were just you saying that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you're an alcoholic, you no longer reasoning, willpower, none of these things are going to work because your brain has been chemically changed. Yes. Right? Forever. Like the, the cucumber to the pickle. You, yes. Once you're a pickle, you're never going to be a cucumber again, right? Yes. You sat in the brine for too long. There's no walking it back. And we can't change um, back. So then to that. Yeah, no, never. And that, of course, that's every alcoholic's dream. It was mine. Why can't mm -hmm. I go back to normal drinking? Yeah. Not that I ever really drank mm -hmm. normal. But why can't I go to like an acceptable type of <laughs> insanity? Yes, uh, a small just insanity. Midway, and just a midway, like, manageability, you know? Yeah. Um, so he says to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. I love that. It's the only normal thing. This has become your normal. You're, right? Yeah, and you, so, the abnormal becomes normal. Yes, completely. And along with that, all the things that you will do 
now become normal. The things that would have been insane and unthinkable are now totally on the table, right? So we break all our own rules as our beloved Frank Harnaker used to say. I miss him. I miss him so much. It makes me sick. But he was like, you know, we break our own rules. Yeah. He said, he said that there's two types of people in AA, that there are the people that don't like what they've done. And there are the people that don't like what they've become. And I was both of them. I couldn't look in the mirror because I hated what I did, but I even more so I didn't like who I became. I became a person who was so cold and cut off. Yeah. I mean, look, I would, I I never killed anybody, but I, I don't think, that was not within my purview at the time i'm serious yeah Yeah. i'm totally serious i was like if i really need to get somewhere i'm i'm i might have to try right (laughs) thank god i did but (laughs) that's what i'm the insanity is so it's so entrenched um so then he explains the the first time i've ever heard the sentence that they are restless irritable and discontented until they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Yep. Drinks, which they see others taking with impunity. That was another thing that I could so relate to because my friends who may or may not have been alcoholics, but who certainly their lives were a lot more together than mine. So they were my comparison point. Why could they keep doing what I could no longer do? Right, because- and That sets you up for what? Resentment. So right. you're, you're comparing yourself to somebody outside of yourself, right? And you're coming up short and you're pissed at them because they seem to be able to do what you can't do anymore. And you know it. And, but then you're like, this isn't really true. Of course I can. I'll do it differently. Right. So then we come with all our methods, you know, control. And we also, we are told when we get to treatment or to AA, whichever, that one who must exert control has already lost it. Not mm. something you want to be told. No. <laughs> And then in this part that you're about to read, this part that you're about to read is like, for me is the best definition of, of alcoholism, because it's not about how much we drink or how often we drink. It's about what happens to us in between trying to not drink and drinking our, our mind telling us the lie, the mental obsession saying it's okay to pick up a drink this one time or, or what's the use anyhow, picking it up not being able to control it because the physical allergy has been activated, coming to hating ourselves, promising we're never going to do it again, yep. being restless, irritable, and discontent, and then picking it up because our mind tells us it's okay. And then that cycle just again and again and again. Yeah. It's the, it's the hamster on the wheel, you know, or the rat, however you want to look at it. But yeah. So after they have succumbed to the desire again, as many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, and I will just say this, to me, the phenomenon of craving preceded every drink. Yeah. So I get that you pick up and then the cravings that, you know, the phenomenon of craving kicks back in. But what I thought was that I couldn't get my brain to stop right. telling me. No, that's the mental obsession. Right. 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 The that's mental, mental obsession preceded yeah. every drink. And then once I picked up, I could not stop at a reasonable limit because the old adage, it's not the... Um, the engine, the caboose. The caboose. <laughs> I love that too, by the way. So that can I share something with you? So Kevin no. told me he asked Jim Clare, his, his sponsor at the time, 
about the engine yeah, the caboose. Right. He, he thought he was yeah, so cool that he knew about the engine the caboose. And he said, Jim, look what I heard. And Jim said, you're an idiot. It's not the engine. It's not the caboose. It's the thought in your mind that you could jump on a, on a train track when a moving train is coming and survive. Yeah. That's your problem. Oh. It's your mind. Yeah. It's yeah. not the alcohol. It's your mind. And what yeah. you just said before, right, is that every yeah. single time you picked up, it was your mind. Your mind believed the lie. Yeah. F it yeah. or what's the use anyhow or I can control it. And then I physically picked up. Yeah. And then was proven again. Nope. Because that mental, you know, the the allergy and the physical craving yes. and you know, and that's that's what makes us who we are. That's what makes us different from other people. And he does say never. Yes. Never occurs in the ever drinker, which goes back to you could be a hard drinker. Yeah. There's lots of hard drinkers that aren't alcoholics. Yeah. Period. Um and I know a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so then this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And with that so in your mind, the psychic change yeah. is in your mind. We yeah. can't, which is what, which is the reason why I take people through the steps because the steps are the only way that I know how to offer someone a way to get rid of the crap in their mind. Yeah, it is. It, it changes your psyche. So this goes back to, do you have, uh, because both has happened for me, where you do you believe in um, that you have to have and the difference between, um, oh, why can't I think of the word, um, a spiritual experience right, yeah. versus a, a, a large or long path of spiritual things. Awakening. That changed you. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. And I had both. Yeah. I definitely had both. I mean, I had the one big one that is when I finally completely surrendered, which was not until sometime in June of 88, where I was like in the closet of the basement of my parents' house that I was, you know, living back in again and having used again and in secret and the whole bit and realizing, oh my God, I did this again? Of course, I knew like when I started the little spree, what did I think was going to be different, right? That's right. our insanity. Um, but so I'm literally, you know, in a closet so nobody can hear me. And I opened the doors of the closet and crawled onto the broken waterbed and picked up my big book and was trying to read it like that would make me sober. And I said, oh my God, God, please help me. And I had prayed. I've been praying since, you know, you know, not... Not, I would say not with a hundred percent effort, but I'd certainly tried it. Right. And I'd been going to a lot of meetings and I, I was still relapsing and not telling anybody even worse. Right. So that for me was definitely a spiritual experience. I never used after that day. But I, I, love, I love the imagery of the broken waterbed. Yeah, it was broken. It was broken. It had no heater. I, I, it held water. It had no heater. I was in the basement and I had a little space heater on a little like cheap wicker table next to me. So I wasn't sleeping on a frigid bed. I mean, it was so stupid. Um, and that the small set of spiritual awakenings, I would say I had been having, right? But they weren't enough to make this complete psychic change. Yeah. And then that experience of like, I don't even know how to explain it of what happened. It wasn't like I saw God or anything. It wasn't that at all. 
It was that I, the phenomenon of craving was taken from me, period. I, I never had that same. Your mind no longer told you that your mind no longer said to you that, that, that obsession. But the difference was for me, and this is just my story is that it wasn't like I never had a craving again. It wasn't like I never thought about it again. Right. The difference was that nonstop intensity of like, I couldn't. I could not get away from it no matter what. So then I would use yes. because you know that's what I would do. And then the whole thing started all over again and in secret, uh, which is terrible. Um, that, that was the difference. And those two things for me combined then got me to climb out of that literal basement. And when I went back to AA again, something was different and I wasn't fighting myself, you know, all day, every day, you know, my natural tendency had just been taken from me, you know, but I think that's because you were given the gift of desperation and you were so desperate in that basement. I love that imagery that you painted of you in that closet and crawling out to that broken waterbed and searching in the book because you knew that that's where the solution was, but you didn't know how to get it. And I'm so grateful for your time today. Unfortunately, we're almost out of it, but I want, I just like, I love that you shared that because I'm never going to see this part again without picturing you doing that because it takes what it takes for each of us to get to a place where we are like, I can't live like this anymore. Right. And and the, I can't live like this anymore was always present for the last two years. Right. And I used to always say, this is what I said to my dad, my beautiful father at the intervention that my family held for me that, I didn't show up for the first time, obviously, but it happened again the next day, right? And I said to my father, and I find this fascinating, I said, it was the first time I'd been honest with anybody. Like, my dad was like, are you doing this? No, no, no. And then, you know, they finally, like, broke me down. And my dad said, look, you're either going to go to treatment or you're, you got to go, you know, like, on the street. And I, 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 there was no way I was doing that. And I said, Dad, I just want, I just want the want to go away. Mm. I said those words. That was the most honest I could be with anybody ever. Because for me, that's what it was, a nonstop want. The powerless. That's the powerless. Yeah, but, I mean, but so when you read the book and you got all these things that match that. Right, because we didn't know the language. Right, we didn't know the language. Right. I'm like, why am I like this? Why why am I the only person I know really like this? And I wasn't. You're not. There's a lot (laughs) of us. (laughs) Right. Will you read that last paragraph, the next paragraph before we go? I want you to read this, the one on the other hand, before we go. Yep. On the other hand, as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, which are, you know, what we would call earth people, I guess. once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he despaired of ever solving them, going back to those other two paragraphs, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. And those few simple rules are not few. They're 12. There's 12. But, um, or you can, you know, also... Yeah, or you can use the four absolutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not as detailed, obviously, but if you f- honestly start with honesty, honesty. 
you go a long way. And you know what, though? But what I love about that paragraph that you just read is after yeah. that darkness and that death and that desperation is there's hope. And the hope is if you yeah. do the work, there's hope. Yeah. I yep. love you, Laura. Thank you so much for your time. I love you, Carly. I'm Thank really you. glad you awesome. us. Me really too. Nervous. You know, I'm like, what do I have to be nervous about? I have been doing this for 32 years. Just 32 years. <laughs> I want to thank you for staying here when it's hard and when it's messy, because if you didn't, I don't know where I would go. Well, thank you. And I want you, I want to thank you because you're really a, quite a bright light and you're really trudging the road, girl. So thank you. you trudge it, but you're you're doing it in a different way, and you help a ton of people. Thank you. Give that hubby um, of yours a hug from me. I will. Love and you. Yours, and yeah. Kids. Oh, he's pretty cute. He's not one of us, thank God. He's very cute. I, I see him on the Facebook. Very, thank very you. cute. His kids are beautiful. Thank Thanks, you. Carly. Love you. For any listeners who would like to get deeper insight into my story. I just released my memoir, Seconds and Inches. It was a dream of mine for decades to write my memoir. And while I do not believe in mixing money in AA, I just wanted to share with the world that I did this accomplishment and it can be found wherever you normally purchase books, paperback, audio, or digital. I wish you an awesome day. Thank you.